And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Of course, uh, yesterday... Markets, um, you know, were looking pretty good, you know, on Monday. Everything was, uh, you know, kind of coming into the day yesterday, coming off a, a nice big kind of Friday rally, so to speak. Markets had recovered a lot of that that initial loss, gotten back above the 200-day moving average. We talked about that yesterday. You know, the one thing that continues to kind of elude the bulls, uh, so to speak, so far is that, you know, they keep getting all excited here. Every time we kind of get down to these lows, and we talked about this about six, seven weeks ago, down towards these bottoms and said, look, everybody's so bearish, you're going to have a rally in the markets. And then we start getting a rally based on this idea that the Fed is going to pivot, right? So we get a little bit of data that comes in, shows a little bit weaker CPI, a little bit less inflation. Get a, a report that comes in, maybe shows a, a little bit you know, weaker job growth or whatever than expected. Markets are rallying on that news. Every little bit of news to, to help support this idea that the Fed's going to pivot or pause. But the Fed has been very clear that that is not going to be the case. They are not going to pivot or pause anytime soon. Now, we talked about yesterday that, you know, last week, uh, Jerome Powell had come out and made the comments that, yes, they're going to slow the pace of rate hikes. Now, that was not new news, right? We knew the Fed was going to reduce their pace of rate hikes down to 50 basis points in December. Because it's just simply they can't keep hiking at 75. This is the most aggressive rate hiking campaign in 40 years. And every rate hiking campaign historically has led to either a recession, a bear market, or some type of crisis event, right? And so this is the most aggressive that we've had in 40 years. So expecting that we're going to have this soft landing in the economy or uh, potentially no kind of you know financial credit related event in the markets that cause a deeper downdraft in equities is a little bit naive um, because it's always happened, right? Now, this time could be different. I'm, not, I'm certainly not making the case that, yeah, we've got to absolutely have this kind of financial event. But historically, the track record for the Fed hiking rates has not been a good one. So it's interesting here is that every time the market starts to rally here, we, the, the market starts to immediately start to, to think about, oh, they're going to pivot, they're going to pause. That's very different than slowing the pace of rate hikes. Slowing the pace of rate hikes means they're still hiking rates. And by the way, historically speaking, a 50 basis point hike is considered aggressive. 75 uh, basis point rate hike, very aggressive, right? So they're still being very aggressive on rate hikes, even at 50 basis points, but they have to slow that pace at some point, they just can't keep doing it at 75. So markets kind of really mistook what Jerome Powell said last week. And I said last week that, you know, it won't be surprising to see, you know, some, some comments come out trying to knock the rally back down a bit because the Fed doesn't like these bullish rallies, especially they don't like these rallies where you mistake what they say, rally the market 3% in a day. Um, because that eases financial conditions. The one thing the Fed is trying to do, and we've talked about this numerous times before, is that the Fed is trying to tighten financial conditions. They want you to spend less money. They want you to stop spending money, going out shopping, doing all these things, because they need to bring down inflation. The way that you do that is to slow economic growth. That's why they're saying, look, 
be aware employment unemployment has to come up we have to get wage growth down we have to get prices down we've got to get demand down all that is very not beneficial for equity prices and not at this level with earnings still elevated, uh, particularly estimates going into next year. But this is what the Fed's saying. And so we noted that, you know, this easing of financial conditions by rallying the market was something the Fed wasn't going to like. And lo and behold, now, of course, on, uh, on Friday after... Uh, Jerome Powell had spoke last week. Friday was kind of the, the closeout of the month. And the Fed is now in blackout until next Wednesday, the 14th, when they have their next meeting. And that's going to be the meeting that they're going to rate, hike rates by 50 basis points. So they're in blackout. So the only way the Fed can communicate right now uh, with the markets and with the economy is, is through their kind of their Fed mouthpiece, Nick Timoros, at the Wall Street Journal. And yesterday, we'll go over some of these comments this morning. But yesterday, Nick Timrose wrote an article talking about the FOMC. And this is, this is basically a leak from the Fed saying, look, we are going to keep hiking rates. We are going to remain on this battle to fight inflation. There is no pivot coming. And in fact, we may hike 50 basis points in February as well. Not 25. So that much more aggressive kind of language coming out of the Federal Reserve knocked the markets down yesterday. Pretty, uh, pretty decent sell-off back below the 200-day moving average. Uh, again, that, that downtrend line resistance that we have going all the way back to the beginning of this year really just continues to be a, a brick wall that the market cannot get above. Um, and also, too, that failure yesterday back below the 200-day moving average, that negates that breakout above the 200-day moving average. So, again, we have another failed attempt like we had back in March of this year. Now, good news is, on a very short-term basis, markets have the 20-day and the 100-day moving average sitting just right below where prices are. We're back into that consolidation range that we've been in ever since really about three weeks ago. Markets really haven't gone much of anywhere. Um, so we're kind of back into this area where we've got some decent support. But as we've been talking about, we said this yesterday, you know, to use this rally here as a, as a, as a potential here, do your tax loss harvesting, do your, uh, you know, rebalance your risk, reduce your exposure to the markets. Markets are very overbought, and we're very close now to triggering the sell signal that's been a good sell signal all year long. Every time we get this kind of MACD sell signal that we've been talking about, it's been a good place to, to basically reduce your exposure to the markets and, and reduce that risk. And, and again, we, you know, we'll get another opportunity. Now, when that opportunity comes, maybe a little bit later on in, in a couple of weeks, depends on you know, what happens with the markets over the next few days. Futures are a little bit flat this morning. We'll see kind of what happens today. Um, but again, don't be surprised. This market could just get stuck here for a little bit. But that still doesn't mean you shouldn't you know, rebalance that risk and, and reduce your risk to the markets, at least short term. Next year, we're going to have to deal with all these rate hikes. And, and again, the, the, as we'll talk about in a few minutes with some of the comments from the Fed yesterday, which, by the way, I also put those comments just for your uh, edification in our daily market commentary. So if you go to our website right now, click on the daily market commentary uh, banner or on, on the link on the front page, you can read today's daily market commentary. Also, if you subscribe uh, to our email list right there at the same place, um, we'll deliver that, e that morning commentary to you every morning 
um, keep you up to date about what's. It's just a short read, maybe two minutes, three, four little bullet point topics, a uh, bit of a market overview from a trading front, just to kind of keep you up to date, get you ready to go for the for the day's trading. But this morning, uh, I posted out those comments from the Wall Street Journal, so we'll kind of review those this morning a little bit more. Talk about what that means. You know, again, we're still getting this economic data coming in that you know, showing kind of a mixed bag. But the real issue here is that wage growth problem in, in, the, in the economy. That's the one thing the Fed is really focused on. A wage spiral is the one thing that they really don't want to have because of that inflationary impact into the overall economy. Anyway, lots of stuff to get into this morning. So stick around. We'll get into that right after the break. Be sure you get by the website, sign up for our daily market commentary. Don't forget to read and subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out every week, has all of our stock screens in it and market analysis and more. It's a great read for the weekend. Keep you up to date on what's happening in the markets. We'll be right back after the break. Realinvestmentadvice.com. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. All right, welcome back to the show this morning. It is uh, Tuesday as we uh, roll through the month of December. It is uh, rapidly approaching, that being Christmas. <laughs> so 71% of Americans say they have already finished their Christmas shopping. I am in the 29%. I'm actually in the 3% that haven't even started yet. So that'll probably happen like two days before Christmas. And you accomplish this by physically going to the yeah, store. Yeah, I just, I just go yeah. to the store. Glutton for punishment. Well, no, it's basically just, you know, I know what I want to get, so I just go get it. Yep. Come on. So in and out, 15 I, minutes. I, I believe in supporting small businesses <laughs> as well. So, you know, there's there's actually, you know, it, it's funny. So um, we live in, I live in Houston. Brent and I live in Houston. Um, and I know a lot of you listening to the radio go, I know you live in Houston. I'm listening to a Houston radio station. But, you know, we do stream live on YouTube. So we have people listening all over the world. And we're very grateful to have you. But in Houston... It's a big city. There's five million people in the in the, oh, the, the metro, almost six. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, third just, largest metro in the country. Exactly. So I mean, lots of people. So, but it's amazing. Every now and then, you find these little things in Houston that are very small townish, mm -hmm. right? And uh, and I was I was a little bit, you know, it, it was kind of funny because I was watching this uh, movie yesterday, and and it reminded me of of this and uh but there's this gas station where the attendant comes out washes your windshield checks your oil where fills up there's actually a conoco station at the corner 
of Wilcrest and Memorial. I'm there. And <laughs> the, the, they they service your car just like the old days. They they they'll change your tires, change your wind, you know, fix your windshield, you know, whatever you got. They'll they'll fix it. Really? They they pump your gas for you. So my wife likes to go because she hates pumping gas. Right. Right. But. And, and so now I, I, you know, they charge a little. Look, you pay a little bit more. What is the upcharge right? per gallon? It, it's not. It's not. It's a quarter. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> it's a chump change. Yeah, no, it is. But I, I now go there just to service small business because yeah, you know, there, here's a guy doing it. You know, the old way. This is his only gas station. This mm -hmm. is his business, yeah. right? And this, and this is where we go back to. You know, whenever we have high oil prices, everybody goes, "Well, it's just stop shopping at Exxon Mobil, right?" That's the, they don't own that, right? No. That's a franchisee that owns that station. That's your neighbor. That's that small business owner. So anyway, it just just kind of fascinating because like right here in the middle of Houston is this kind of old style yeah. service. And I'm sure there's more out there. I'm sure that's not the only one. That's just the only one I've found. The Conoco at Wilcrest and, and Memorial. Memorial. And so I encourage you if you're over that way, go go patronage that business. Yes. Because that. That's the type of service you need in this country. That's anyway. awesome. Yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool. Um, I totally got off on what I was talking about. Uh, you were Christmas, Christmas shopping. Christmas shopping, yes. yes. You were so, buying gasoline for Christmas. Yes, I'm buying gas for Christmas. No, but uh, anyway, we're talking about uh, supporting small businesses. Yes. And particularly in this economy, and, you know, because we have this invasion of mega corporations now, mm -hmm. Apple, Google, Amazon, you know, it makes it much harder for small businesses to compete, so they... They need your patronage. So that's why I still shop at stores. I that's, could order from Amazon. That's very cool. Yeah. You know, but, yeah. 25 cents a gallon on a fill-up for me, that's $2.50 yeah, more than I'll pay. I just, I just found this like three weeks ago. Yeah. And so I've only filled up once, and I forgot to check what the upcharge was. So I'll, I'll, I got to go fill up with gas we'll today or tomorrow, research. so I'll get back with you and let yeah. you know. But anyway, it's right across the street from that mega corporation Starbucks. Uh <laughs> So anyway, um, so talk about just for the break, the Federal Reserve. They are in blackout. They can't talk right now. Um, it's just like kind of anything else, right? They don't want to, you know, it's interesting. We're in blackout. We don't want to move the markets, but hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, let's call our buddy over at the Wall Street Journal and just, you know, drop a hint. Well, and again, that's not the way it's written. It doesn't, you know, the article doesn't say Jerome Powell stated that's that's not what it says. Right. This is Nick Timrose writing in his own view. But you have to ask the question, well, where did you get that view from? Right. Because and this, this is the most. What are those well-kept secrets that are not kept at all, right? Yeah. yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, <laughs> yeah, nudge. Exactly. But Nick Timrose, um, is, and he's inherited this. There's always been kind of a Wall Street Journal uh, journalist that has been, you know, kind of gets a, a leak from the Federal Reserve. And this, is, this has gone on forever. Nick Timrose is just the latest journalist to get this badge of honor, so to speak. Anyway, in the article that he wrote yesterday, and, and, and you know, importantly, and, and like we've been saying, the market, you know, the Fed does not like these market rallies because it basically undermines everything they're trying to do. They're trying to get people to be less optimistic. That's how you get inflation down, right? You've got to slow consumption. You've got to get people to stop spending money. Stop going out, going crazy, doing stuff. 
you got to get them to, to, to clamp down a bit. And that's how you get inflation down. But that also slows economic growth. That also raises unemployment and brings wages down. And that's, those are all the things that the Fed needs to accomplish and do that without potentially throwing the economy into a recession. That's the hard part, right? That's the magic formula. But anyway, in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, Federal, this is Nick, I'm going to quote from Nick Timrose yesterday. Federal Reserve officials have signaled plans to raise their benchmark interest rate by half a percentage point at their meeting next week. We already knew this, right? Nothing new in that story. But, see, there's the problem. You know, we were good up to that point. Everything is everything is in. Oh, we're going to slow the pace of rate hikes. That's awesome. That's why we've been rallying the markets because the Fed's ready to pivot. But. Elevated wage pressures could lead them. Now, see how this is written? This isn't the Fed saying anything. This is just commentary by Nick Timrose. This isn't the Fed saying anything. So they're still in blackout. Got to kind of read between the lines. Elevated wage pressures could lead them to continue lifting it to higher levels than investors currently expect. That was the line that sent the markets tumbling yesterday. Brisk wage growth or higher inflation in labor-intensive service sectors of the economy. Now, remember, we just got the services uh, index out yesterday. It actually rose. So that's bullish, right? So, I mean, we're getting, you know, we, we're, not, we're still in expansion in terms of the services index. We're not, in, we're not below 50, and that index rose yesterday. The ISM services index actually rose yesterday. So brisk wage growth or higher inflation in labor-intensive service sectors of the economy could lead more of them, being the Fed officials, them being the Fed officials, to support raising their benchmark rate next year above the 5% currently anticipated by investors. <clears throat> so going into the weekend, the market was predicting a decline in the terminal rate, which is the peak Fed funds rate, of less than 5%. We were about 4.75%. After this story hit the market yesterday, that terminal rate expected by Fed fund futures is now above 5% again, right? So, and that's what basically this was saying is that, you know, we're going to hike rates until we solve this problem of inflation. And that could take us to a higher terminal rate than 5%. Now, Nick Timorous went on to really confirm what a lot of the Fed speakers have been saying. It says, quote, they want to guard against raising rates too little and allowing inflation to resurge. So, in other words, what the Fed is concerned about is that they hike rates, inflation comes down a little bit, that's what we've seen, and then it takes off again. That was the problem of the 70s. Now, I think they're wrong. I think inflation is going to come down all by itself over the course of the next year because that whole big pig in the python of monetary interventions that we stuck into the market has now worked its way mostly through the python. It's coming out the other side. By the way, did you happen to see that, pi that, that video of the python that swallowed the alligator? I think I missed that one. Yeah. It killed the, it killed the python. You think? <laughs> because it just basically was too big, but it, yeah. it killed the alligator too. 
but it swallowed the alligator whole. Mutually assured destruction. Exactly. Just just now, just imagine how big that python was. Where was this? Uh, probably down in Florida. the Amazon Florida somewhere. Man. No, the Florida man. <laughs> His pets. No, this is down in the Amazon somewhere. <laughs> but that pig and the python, which has been moving through the system over the last year, all of this massive monetary interventions that we did, that $5 trillion worth of stimulus, is, is coming out the other side. And... As that, those savings rates are plunging, we're going to see a contraction in other activity. So inflation's going to come down. The Fed's worried that it's going to resurge, but the only way it can resurge is if you have another massive round of monetary interventions. And that's not happening. So this is, the, this is where I think the Fed makes a mistake. Now, I could be wrong. And happy to admit if I'm wrong. But this is where I think the Fed makes a mistake. I think they overhike in anticipation of getting this resurgence of inflation. And I think they're missing the mark of where that inflation originated from. Because it wasn't organic. It wasn't an organic-based inflation like we saw in the 70s. Anyway, back to what Nick Timrose said. They want to guard against raising rates too little and allowing inflation to resurge or raising them too much and causing unnecessary economic weakness. And this is according to recent public comments and interviews. Well, you can't really have it both ways. And knowing exactly because of the lag effect of monetary policy, knowing the exact point to stop so it's not too much and not too little is impossible. That's why the risk is really to the downside in the markets of the Fed potentially overhiking rates. Be right back after the break. Got more to get into here. Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a para group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. the show this morning you know just listen to that uh, promo for the show on the break talking <laughs> about me trying to buy for my wife because yes. it's very problematic <laughs> how'd you do well i mean the problem is is that you know after she married me she had everything she wanted right especially so, yeah yeah i mean so what else do you get her <laughs> I, I think she just needs to be grateful yeah. for me yeah. yeah 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 you know jackpot baby exactly so she doesn't agree with that, by the way. <laughs> she thinks it's the other way around. Yeah. But anyway. So how did you do? I haven't done yet. 
You didn't get her anything for her birthday? No, no. I told you the whole shopping trip. Yeah. Yeah. That was her birthday. And how was it received? She was there. She liked it fine. Okay, good. She's, she picked everything out. <laughs> Trying to help you out here. Right. Okay. There's one rule, by the way, gentlemen. Yes. There's a rule. There's a couple of things you do not buy your wife for Christmas. Russell, Cheryl, if you're listening to this show, <laughs> pay attention. Sage words. Well, because there there was another gentleman on the show that would buy his wife things like a, a, a vacuum cleaner. Yes. For her birthday or Christmas Not or a good. cat litter box or something. You know, he was he was a practical gift giver. Yeah. Right. A couple of things you do not buy your wife for Christmas or birthdays. Scales, workout wear. <laughs> or workout equipment. Or home appliances. Or well no, but you any of those three. Yeah. Workout wear, workout gear, or a scale. Do not buy those because mm. it's immediately assumed that you think they're fat. Right. So how do you how this is how you solve that problem. My wife needed workout wear. However, if I went and bought the workout wear, you run two big risks. First risk is you get the wrong size because you buy a large and she wears a medium. Now she's fat. <laughs> or you buy a small and she's a medium and you bought this for your other girlfriend, right? <laughs> yeah. So you must have got them confused. So there is no, the sizing issue. You better, if you're going to do it on your own, you better get it right and you better know it. The second thing is, is getting the right colors, the right textures, and all the other BS that goes along with workout gear. I mean, look, I buy Russell Athletic Wear from Academy, <laughs> right? It's not, you know, it's the stuff that's knockoff, like one leg is longer than the other type stuff, you know. <laughs> it's, you know, it's Nike with three Ks. <laughs> it's on sale for a buck ninety nine. That's what I right. wear to the gym, right? <laughs> and I wear it till one leg falls off and both legs are even, right? There you so go. there you yeah. go. Anyway, so the way you get around this is you take your wife to the store and you let her pick out what she wants. This way, she's very happy. She has her workout gear. It was her idea. She says, hey, I need this. Great, babe. This is the way I did this. My wife says, I really need some new workout gear. Awesome. Let me take you to the store and we'll go get you some. And that's Voila. how you, th this is how you solve a birthday yeah. and keep yourself out of trouble. Very good. And don't take your girlfriend to the same store. <laughs> they all know each other. My wife walks into Athleta, and it's like it's like walking into Cheers, right? Right. Like everybody Norm! knows your name. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like Christina. It's nice, nice to have you back. I was like, okay, now I know where your paycheck goes. Anyway, by the way, did you see we lost Kirsty Alley? We did. Speaking yeah. of Cheers, seventy-one years old. She's mm. been battling cancer for yeah. a while. Yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah. She was a yeah, I, I liked her. Yeah. She was she was, she was funny. Yeah, she was. Um all right, so back to back to the story uh line here of the show. So just for the break, you know, talking a little bit about the, you know, the Fed kind of Wall Street Journal article. And this is and this is really I have an article out on the website today talking about this um that you know, the bull narrative, the bull case narrative has two issues to it. And, you know, ever since the uh, kind of October lows, and again, we go back to October, we were talking about then, super, everybody was bearish, right? All the headlines were, the world's going to end, and you better be in a bunker with, you know, beanie weenies and ammo and extra gold, right? And then we have this massive rally. Now everybody's bullish, right? Now everybody's on the other side of the camp going, oh, this market's, you know, the, the bottom's in, the bear, bull market's back, it's all great. 
right? Fed's going to pivot. The problem with these bullish rallies are is that, it, that they have two problems. And, and this is the article that's on the website today. It's called The Bull Case Has Two Problems. And the two problems are the Fed and the Fed. <laughs> you know, it's, it's no matter where you look, either the problem is, is that the Fed is hiking rates, which is going to slow economic growth, which is going to, to taper earnings, right? That's going to reduce earnings, which means if earnings come down, valuations are going to go up unless prices come down as well. So that's an undermine of the bull case, right? Valuations are already elevated historically. And so if earnings come down and prices stay the same, valuations go up. But it's just math. So if, if earnings come down because of slower economic growth, slower economic activity, higher interest rates, prices have to come down as well. The other problem of the bull case is still the Fed with quantitative tightening. Over the last 12 years, there has been a cumulative total of 42, almost 43 trillion dollars injected into the economy, into the markets, either through Fed bailouts, government bailouts, government stimulus, um, quantitative easing programs, 42 trillion. It's $10 of monetary interventions for every dollar's worth of economic growth. The Fed is in the process of quantitative tightening. They're reducing, removing liquidity. All those monetary interventions, like we talked about, that's coming out of the market. That's not going into the market. That's all, all savings rates are, are, are back below pandemic levels now. Credit card rates are, are, are the credit card levels, uh, debt levels are rising. So that is going to be a headwind ultimately on consumption, which ultimately is lower earnings, which means that prices have to come down to justify lower earnings. So the problem of the bullish case is that you're still running into an environment with exceptionally high valuations. Now, does this mean that the markets can't have these bull cycles in it? Absolutely. But there is a challenge going forward until the Fed drops rates back to zero and until the Fed starts doing quantitative easing again, the bull case has a major headwind of the Fed. And the Fed. And this is, you know, the risk that we have to run, right? We, we talk about a lot on the show about probabilities and possibilities. And if we're going to have an earnings recession next year, yes, earnings have come down some. But they have not come down nearly enough to justify an economic recession. Now, Assuming we can avoid a recession, which is possible, then earnings may have come down enough. Maybe earnings have come down enough. I, I still think that's unlikely, given the fact that that $5 trillion worth of, of stimulus that hit the market sent earnings through the roof because you had a very anomalous situation where companies shut down and laid off a lot of employees, reducing that cost of labor. You had $5 trillion worth of liquidity come in that basically just blew profit margins through the roof. All of a sudden, I've got all this demand. I'm running skeleton crews to meet this demand. My profit margins go way up. But now I've had to hire all these people back. 
as demand is starting to fall. So now my costs are coming up a lot more and my profit margins are going to shrink. So that ability to maintain earnings going forward, even just in a, a, a return to normality, is going to be very problematic. But then also you take a look at CEO confidence, which is at record lows. That historically does not bode well for employment going forward. You know, we've talked a lot about layoffs coming from a lot of these big tech companies, right? And, and again, when you take a look at a lot of these tech companies during 2020, 2021, they were just hiring everybody. Just anybody that wanted a job basically to hire a, a tech company. Um, and they over they overhired. And so they've reduced their hiring now. They've been we've talked about a lot of those layoffs. That's just basically getting rid of excess. They're kind of getting back to normal operating levels of employment. So that really isn't that recessionary. What we're looking for is when those layoffs start to spread over into other areas of the economy, like manufacturing and, and other services industries where the economy actually lives. PepsiCo to lay off hundreds after price hikes as consumer strength is now beginning question. So we're starting to see that. I suspect we're going to start to see more layoffs in kind of the broader macro economy as we get into the first part of next year as the economy actually starts to, to slow down a good bit more. So we'll see, though. Uh, again, this is all assumptions based on history. And we're looking back at history going, well, when the Fed has done this before, this is what has happened. You know, when these indexes say this, this is what has happened. When the economic data says this, this is what has happened. Could this be time be different? Absolutely. And you can't dismiss that. You can't dismiss that risk that this time is different for some reason that I haven't thought of or we haven't thought of. All I'm saying is, is that right now, based on all the economic data, the risks certainly seem elevated that next year's economic growth could be substantially lower than what people currently expect because of two reasons. The Fed and the Fed. Be right back after the break. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Getting ready to wrap things up. 
You know, about this time of the year, we start getting out all of these predictions for next year. All the analysts, Wall Street, et cetera, come out and say, well, we predict the market's going to be, you know, 5,000 next year, whatever. And it was interesting because this time last year, that was what everybody was saying, right? Uh, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, et cetera, targets for the S&P 500 were 5,000 or better. Um, here we are at 4,000 right now. So, you know, the problem with forecast predictions, et cetera, is they're generally wrong. Um, other things happen. And, you know, but from a predictor standpoint, right, if I, if I want to be a, a, you know, a prediction expert, right, the, the best thing to do is always predict to the upside because more often than not, you know, you get a rising market. More often than not, it's just the bear markets really suck. But if, you know, if you're if you say, oh, market's going to be forty five hundred next year and it gets to forty four hundred. Hey, you were close enough. Right. And nobody really cares when you're wrong because all they remember is when you called it right. And it's just the way the markets work. And, you know, people want to be optimistic. And it's always interesting when I, I post stuff out on Twitter, I'll say, look, you know, uh, markets are a bit over exuberant right here, a little overbought. And, you know, immediately I get a bunch of comments. Well, I don't see any reason why the market's going to come down now. Right. You just you know, this it's up from here. You know, everybody, want, everybody wants to be optimistic, right? Because, hey, we like making money. We like when things go up because we always make money. Anyway, I, I always like the predictions because, again, it kind, of gives you a, it kind of gives you a good framework for, you know, over-optimism. Um, helps you kind of base your expectations for the next year. But every year, Saxo Bank comes out with their most outrageous predictions. And... Generally, most of these never happen, but every once in a while, they'll nail one. And it's always kind of interesting when that happens. Um, but here's, the, here's a couple of the 10 outrageous predictions for 2023. A, the Billionaire Coalition creates a trillion-dollar Manhattan Project for Energy. It's the largest research and development effort since the original Manhattan Project that developed the first atomic bomb. Now, these are all predictions, right? This isn't really happening. Just okay. Don't the what the things I'm going to read to you from this list? Those are predictions, and they're a lot of hyperbole and very outrageous. So just because I read this doesn't mean it's actually occurring. Um, but it is interesting because you know one of the things when you know you talk about things like uh, you know critical race theory has been a, a big hot topic this year. You know with school boards, etc. And that comes out of uh, out of Marxist teachings. And, and, you know, Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, what he's and, you know, he's pushing this kind of Marxist idea into the world. He says, you know, basically we need to kind of operate where corporations own everything. And basically you just kind of are subservient to the, the world corporations and the world elite. And, and the idea is, is that you really don't know much about yourself and you can't really take care of yourself. So the few wealthy elites and the governments of the world and the big corporations, they're going to, you know, control everything. They'll have all the wealth. They'll live lives of luxury. Um, you'll kind of scrap for what you need, but you'll rent everything you want and you'll be happy. That's the idea, right? It's all about power at the end of the day. But so these billionaires are going to get together, create a trillion dollar Manhattan project and solve all of our energy problems. Uh, French, president, uh, French President Macron will resign next year. In a televised address, he will criticize the opposition's standpoint of absolute blockage and announces he is retiring from politics. 
there's probably a few people that wouldn't be too upset about that. Um, for your gold bugs, Saxo Bank says gold will rocket to $3,000 as central banks fail on their inflation mandate. Now, the only problem with that is that we've had 9% inflation this year at the peak and gold didn't rally. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. The EU Army. <laughs> That's all I need to say right there. Let's just move on to the next one. Actually, EU Army forces EU down a path to a full union. In 2023, it becomes clearer than ever that Europe needs to get the union's defensive posture in order. You know, this is one of the interesting things about the European Union, if you didn't know this, is that the United States is a union, right? We're a monetary union, just kind of like the, the Eurozone. The difference is, is that we, un, you know, we form this union of states, and if you think, if you if you kind of thought about the United States as a second, you know, for a second, like the European, like like the EU, Texas is a country, Louisiana's it's I don't know what you call Louisiana, but you know, Mississippi that, that's another problem. Florida is a country, California is a country. Um, I'm joking, but each state is a country, right? We all came together as these individual countries, and we said, okay, we're we're all going to operate under one currency, one central bank, etc. And we had a, a, a contract called the Constitution and Bill of Rights, et cetera, that tied all this together. So we created this monetary union under a central premise. The problem for the EU was is they, they wanted to replicate this experiment that was very successful in the U.S. by creating this monetary union in the EU. Where they failed and came up short was they never tied it all together with a constitutional contract. So they keep having all these problems. Brexit, etc. It's also the problem when you need to have a military, when you're not all operating under one kind of unit. Everybody, everybody wants to have their own, you know, their own, you know, their own army, etc. Just, just imagine Texas has an army, Louisiana has an army, California has an army, Seattle, Seattle has a bunch of baristas. So, got to have a central union anyway. Number five, a country agrees to ban all meat production by 2030. So then say which country, just a country. Uh, it plans to ban all domestically produced live animal source meat entirely by 2030. Um, we'll see how that works out. Still think there's a lot of people that want to eat meat, not bugs, like the World Economic Forum wants you to do. Uh, UK holds unBrexit referendum. Now, remember, we just talked about the fact in 15, 2015, 2016, remember, we went through the whole Brexit thing. The U.K. wanted to exit out of the EU. Now they want to potentially, this is the idea that in 2023, they'll go through an un-Brexit at Tiffany's. <laughs> I wouldn't put a lot of weight on that one. Number seven, widespread price. Now, this one might actually be a reality. Widespread price controls are introduced to cap official inflation. There's, you know, this is something that, you know, back in 1947, following World War II, was a, a poll was put out because of inflation that was running back then. It's like, should we have price, uh, price controls? And there was a very big support for price controls. And you've heard a lot about this year, you know, uh, you know as well, you know, capping the price of, of oil, capping the price of food, you know, as an issue. And, and so the idea of price controls 
at the consumer level, uh, you know, when you go out to the voters and say, hey, would you like price controls? People kind of immediately go, yeah, you know, if you can put, you know, just cap oil prices at, you know, $3 a gallon of gasoline, right? You know, whatever. That sounds great. Economically, it's a terrible idea. And you can only imagine what happens economically when you start trying to do price controls. It leads to a whole bevy of other economic outcomes. And nearly all wars in history have ultimately been fought over price controls because it doesn't work out well. Number eight, OPEC and Chindia. Or Chindia? I, I'm not, I think it's to be Chindia. Chindia? Chindia. Yeah, Chindia. Yeah, Chindia. Walk out of the IMF, agree to trade with a new reserve asset. Uh, recognizing the ongoing repetition of the U.S. dollar by the U.S. government, non-U.S. ally, you know, which is interesting considering, you know, when President Trump was in office, it was about China manipulating their currency. They were the currency manipulators. Now we're the currency manipulators. We've weaponized the dollar. According to Saxo Bank, non-U.S. allied countries move to leave the USD and the IMF to create an international clearing union, ICU, with a new reserve asset. The Bancor currency code will be key, uh, K-E-Y. Uh, they will use Keynes' uh, original idea from the pre-Bretton Woods days to thumb its nose at the practice of the U.S. and leveraging its power over the international monetary system. Um, that's a really low probability event, like zero. Um, USD... <laughs> The USD uh, Japanese yen fix to the USD at 200 as Japan tries to finally overhaul their financial system. Of course, you know, Japan on the verge of just complete bankruptcy at this point. Japan's real GDP will drop by over 8% when this occurs, according to Saxo. Again, prediction, not reality. Last one. Tax haven ban kills private equity. Probably would not be a bad idea. The OECD agrees in 2023 to move to a more aggressive stance on tax havens, launching a full ban on the largest tax havens in the world. Now, you know, again, this is probably something that has a, a I, I'm not sure it'll happen in 2023, but I suspect this is something that will happen down the road at some point is, you know, a move to basically get rid of these tax havens because, again, with all the debt, that is out there in the world right now that has to be serviced where these tax havens are keeping tax dollars from getting to those in power that need those tax dollars, uh, you know, move to ban these tax havens or doing something different is, is certainly an interesting possibility. Um, so that's the 10 outrageous, more or less, predictions of saxo bank for the year always interesting this time of year anyway that wraps up the show have a great day be back here tomorrow stick around three minutes on markets and money will be coming up shortly um our latest blog post is out on the website talking about the two pro the the bull case has two problems and of course uh if you have any questions or comments be sure and send us an email always happy to help you out any way we can realinvestmentadvice.com have a great day see you back here tomorrow